Love Talk Radio. Welcome all truth seekers from across the globe. This is Reverend Karen L. Heasley from the Spiritual Path Church of Newcastle, Pennsylvania in the United States. Our truth seeker show covers a variety of subjects from angels to afterlife communication to parapsychology to spiritualism to near-death experiences, meditation, and a number of other truth seeking topics. We are happy you have chosen to join us for this episode and hope you find it informative and enjoyable. After our chat tonight, we will be taking calls. Here is our number to call in on. Now get a piece of paper and a pencil and write this down. 657-383-0416. I'm going to repeat that. 657-383-0416. And guess what? We're really lucky tonight. We actually have the chat box open. Our guest tonight is Coral Ryder. Coral is the daughter of SNU minister Ann Robeson and healer Jim Robeson, and as such has grown up with an awareness of spirit and spiritualism. In 2005, she was told by spirit to put down what she was doing and to draw She is not a trained artist, yet with spirit guiding her hand, has developed the ability to draw spirit portraits, reuniting people with the faces of their loved ones. In 2012, she had the honor of being the first person to gain a certificate of recognition from the Spirit National Union in demonstrating spirit art. In 2015, she was featured in the book, spiritual paintings, and art from the afterlife. She served churches and centers in the UK and abroad, demonstrating her art and running workshops on both the subjects of spirit and psychic art, helping others to explore their mediumship through art and discover the hidden artist within. She regularly tutors for the International Spiritualist Federation at their fraternal weeks and weekends in various countries across the globe, as well as running weekly audio classes on SNUI, the Spiritualist National Union International website covering spirit portraits and autographs. Along with her art, Coral is the co-editor of a small international magazine, writes inspired poetry, and one of her poems was used as the lyrics to Spiritual Age, a song written to celebrate Hydeville. And I actually had the privilege of hearing um, Coral sing that song. So, hello, Coral. How are you tonight? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Karen. Oh, it's just a pleasure. And it was a pleasure actually meeting you at the ISF conference. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I guess the first thing we want to talk about is you. And so our listeners would like to know, I'm sure, a little bit about you. So what was it like growing up in a spiritualist family? Okay. Well, um, 
for me, my childhood was a pretty normal one. Uh, I played around, fought with my brothers, you know, the usual sibling rivalries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, growing up within my house, my mum was a medium. So I was used to her going out to church and doing various things for them. She used to sit at home with her friends in home circle. Um, my father, he wasn't at that time a, a spiritualist, but for us, it was if whenever we experienced anything unusual, when we we got a spirit communication or we saw something, heard something, of you know that paranormal nature, we would just go, "Mum, mum, what was this? Can you explain it to us?" And she would explain mm -hmm. everything in a very down to earth, simple manner. So we grew up with an awareness of spirit and knew there was nothing to be fearful of it. So for me, it was a wonderful experience knowing that I had somebody to turn to who was very knowledgeable on the subject. My father came into it later on after challenging my mother to uh, used to tease her frequently and call it the spookies whenever she went to church. So I should say it wasn't him who challenged her, it was her who challenged him to go to church. And once he received some of the most profound evidence he'd ever come across, he had to research it himself he looked into the scientific side of spiritualism and communication and then ended up becoming a spiritualist healer himself and um, i had the pleasure of talking to your mother at the isf um fraternal week and, and she told me that she she knew uh gordon higginson yes she did know gordon both my parents knew gordon higginson but yeah she'd known him for a number of years Mm -hmm. So they actually grew up and went to church and were around some really heavy hairs of uh, mediums. <laughs> right? Uh, Gordon Higginson used to ask my father to play the accordion every time he turned up at the college. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Now, was yes. there a special song that he had to play for Gordon? Uh, that I can't I, I can't say because I don't know because I, I, I wasn't there with them, but I know that okay. my father used to always take his accordion with him and his guitar, and Gordon used to always get him to play for him. That's, now, how many people can say that? My father played <laughs> an in, my instruments for Gordon Higgins. So how, how many people you know can say that? <laughs> I, I don't know too many. Oh, that's, my father that's, plays instruments for everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. I'm serious. That's that's incredible, and so um, and and so you then what I guess what I want to ask you is how did you get into this then Coral right because you weren't into it and then you got into it correct I mean about the spirit art and all that yeah um, as I say I grew up with an awareness of spirit and spirit communication so it was a normal thing within our household but I switched my abilities off in my teens because it frightened my friends. Uh, I would finish their sentences. I would. I was at that point. I was dreaming things, and they were coming true. Um, to go with that, it was <laughs> a friend was playing around saying, "Shall we tell her? Shall we tell?" Her? And I was like, "You don't need to tell me. I already know." And I won't say the name. It's pregnant. Um, <laughs> and um, they were like, "How do you know that?" And I was like, "I don't know. It just came out my mouth, and it turned out one of my close friends was pregnant." And so it was things like that, and it unnerved them. Uh, so I kind of like I backed away from it, and I asked Spirit to take a step back, and they did. And they waited for me, and then I dabbled a little bit when I was 17. I came back into it, went back down to church, but I didn't feel ready for it. It was I was more ex more into wanting to explore this world 
in the spirit world mm-hmm. at that point. So mm-hmm. it was enough for me right. to know right. that there was a life after death. I'd already had enough evidence growing up that there was a life after death. So I was more interested in exploring this world and tra- and traveling, to be truthful. And then I came home one year and met my husband, or my husband-to-be at that time, settled down and... It was when I was in my 30s, my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer and I was quite close to him. I'd known him since I was 17 years old, so I was was very, very close to him. And I just went back down to church for the comfort of it. And the moment I stepped through the door, even though it's it's a strange feeling, because even though I'd been married there and I'd been in and out of the building all of my life, the moment I stepped through the door that night, I felt like I'd come home. And it was an overwhelming feeling sense of being being home again. And I kept going each week for the comfort of it. And I was enjoying the services. And my mum said, well, why don't you come along to the development group? So I did. And each week I watched in amazement as people got information from the spirit world. And people would say to me, what have you got, Coral? I went, nothing. <laughs> each week, nothing. And then one day it was like as if a switch had been flicked back on inside of my brain. And I saw an image. So I described the image and it turned out to be correct. Uh, then it went from images to me hearing things, which turned out to be correct. Then I started sensing things within my body. And then one week I was sat at home. My mum was away with the International Spiritual Federation. She was teaching for them at the time in Slovenia. And I heard the words. I was playing on my PlayStation of all things. And I heard the words clear as day, put it down, paper, pencil and drop. And that's how my journey started. So I found a quiet spot, which was upstairs in my bedroom, sat there with my pencil poised on paper, waiting for something to take place. And then, I don't know why I had my eyes closed, but I did. And then I heard, can you open your eyes and see what I'm doing, please? So (laughs) I opened my eyes and my hand shot. It it literally took off. It It was just swirling around and around and around. And it reminds me very much of when you were a child and you would run down a hill and you would always be tripping over yourself, trying to keep up with your legs or your body trying to keep up with your legs or your legs trying to keep up with your body, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I then felt a sense of frustration and I, I thought, are you left-handed? The moment I thought it, I heard, thank you. The pencil went to my left hand and I drew my first spirit portrait. So that's how it started. Uh, for a few months after that every picture I drew was drawn with my left hand and signed in a fountain pen in the name of the lady who works through me um after that amount of time pictures were starting to slowly be recognized and my mother kindly (laughs) as she does pointed out to me that if it was to ever be put to any use I would have to speed the process up because each picture would take between an hour and two hours but a public demonstration you can't do that uh it's got to be quicker than that for a private sitting you maybe have an hour but you really needed the process needed to be uh, speeded up considerably so I sent the thought to my team what do you want me to do and I, I got back we know what we're doing to move your hand move back to your right hand for speed and I went from my portraits taking anywhere between an hour and two hours to them taking anywhere between two minutes and 12 minutes so. I watched you. I watched you do it, Dem. It was <laughs> it was fascinating. I jokingly referred to myself as a fax machine. Oh, jeez. And and so um, so I guess what I want to what we're going to talk about a little bit here is spirit art. 
Well, you said there's different kinds of our spirit art or psychic art, right? There, you want to explain? I know our listeners don't really, some of them don't really understand that, so I'd like you to explain some of it, if you could. Okay, well, to me, you've got to remember that everybody has their own viewpoints on this, but for me, mm-hmm. spirit art is art that is inspired either by the spirit world or by your own spirit. So that can be inspired art that people might paint, things that inspire you that make you feel uh, healing energy and that kind of thing but what we tend to coin spirit art as nowadays is evidential spirit art which is the portraits of people's loved ones in the spirit world that is the main avenue that people take when they talk about spirit art but there are the other avenues as I say which is like inspired art it can be photography it can be evidence of taking photographs and finding spirit extras inside photographs uh, art can be inspired music from the spirit world it come there's a many things come under the topic of spirit art but what we tend to talk about it as being is the evidential portrait your okay. psychic art is more along the lines of when you link in with somebody on that psychic level, or some people would refer to it as a soul-to-soul level, and you create a piece of artwork and then interpret what all of the colours and symbology means in relation to a person's life. And okay, that's so you're I just have a question for me. Yeah. No, when you do the spirit work, do you you link with the the spirit world, or you link with your God? The psychic art. Is is it still a link with the spirit world or your guide, I guess, I'm asking? It's, that is an interesting uh, topic for discussion because what usually tends to it, it tends to start with is the psychic or the medium will tune into somebody's auric field. The best way to describe it is a bit like Wi-Fi. If you picture yourself as being one computer, <laughs> the other person being a mm-hmm. computer, the database that holds all the information about you, and the information translates transfers across to each other um and to begin with the 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 psychic or the medium might it be their influence on what they're creating it's them doing the work but over time spirit may come in and influence how they would like those pictures to unfold so for instance uh myself I was once doing an autograph for somebody and I was specifically told to put an item into it. And I heard them tell me to put in an eagle hawk and I hadn't even heard of an eagle hawk. To me, mm-hmm. there's eagles and hawks, but it turns out it was the biggest bird of prey in Australia. So that for me was quite interesting. The creator of the, uh, of the autograph, who we see as the, as the original creator of the autograph, was a gentleman called Harold Sharp. And he coined them an artistic diagram of the human aura. And his story is quite interesting because although he interpreted them on a psychic level, he would then bring a spirit communication in at the end of it. But he was very much influenced by his spirit guide as to how to draw them. So often people start off with them creating it, but then sometimes spirit will come in and help them to create it. But with Harold, he worked with control. And spirit, according to a, a friend of his who, who told me the story about it, was that Harold later on in life had suffered with a stroke, yet spirit were able to draw through his paralyzed arm. And mm. I find that fascinating. Yeah, me too. I didn't realize that. <clears throat> well, okay, since so we're talking about different <clears throat> people, then how about Coral Podge? How did, how did she do spirit art? Or did she do psychic art? <laughs> For many, many years, it was coined psychic art. All over the world, that's what people called it. Uh, uh, hmm. But 
I cannot prove this, but my theory for it being coined that within the UK was to do with the Fraudulent Mediums Act. Because we have this this act, which was, if you were holding any tools in your hand, you were not allowed to communicate with the spirit world. If you had anything in your hand, you had to put it down. Otherwise, you could be deemed as using a tool to connect to the spirit world. And I say we weren't allowed to do that. But you can't draw a picture or do a painting unless you're holding something in your hands. You can't draw a picture without a pencil. So... To get around that, I believe that's why it was called psychic art. It wasn't really psychic art because Coral Polge was working mediumistically, not psychically. Yeah. So the way that she worked, uh, I've seen an interview with her uh, once, and she described herself as working with a mixture of control, like myself, and clairsentience. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know Coral well. I'd only met her a couple of times, and that was when she stayed at my house when I was a child. She stayed at your house. Yes. Now, how she many people can say that? <laughs> Probably oh, a lot more. Coral Coral stayed at my house. Oh, did she? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. She was doing oh. a service at our at, at, at the church. My mum happens to be the president of, and that's Billingham Spiritualist Church in the okay. UK. And mm-hmm. that point when we used to get mediums who came from you know, a distance, they would stay over at our house. So Coral stayed at our house, and it was very, very bizarre for me because I've never met anybody with the same name as me. So I thought you were named <laughs> after her. I was named Coral. Both of us turned and said yes to my mum, and then we looked oh, at each other and look on our faces of like, oh, that's a bit odd. We've never had that before. I soon learned <laughs> that my name was being called. It was Coral Go Put the Kettle On. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I have to that's admit, I would love to have known what I was going to become because had I done I would have picked that lady's brains I really would have done because uh, her work did fascinate me at that time now she had a, a god he was French right I can't I well, can't remember his, his yes and yeah. that wasn't that her main um, uh, guide or controller Maurice de Latour was the guide who drew through her yes yes that's what he did Mm-hmm. And then and he was she, an artist in his own right, and then uh, she mm-hmm. drew a portrait of him, and then she was guided to where she would find that portrait, uh, a self portrait of him in a museum. And where the light was amazing. Wow. Do you do you recall where she found that that portrait of him by chance? I'm not off the top of my head, no. Okay, I can't that's remember because that detail. is amazing. And then the other guy, uh, the other uh, spirit artist. Oh. I'm sorry. His name was Frank, right? Frank. Yes. Frank Leach. Did I say that correctly? Frank Leah. Leah. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure um, you'll forgive. Now, oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> now he was he was before Coral, correct? I'm trying to get this all yes. straight. Right? Okay. You want to talk a little bit about him? If you know a little bit about Frankly, him. He passed the spirit world, if I remember rightly, in 1972. I think was when okay. he uh, Frank was, um, he grew up, I believe it was Manchester in the UK. And at the age of 15, he left, moved to Ireland. He was a, a, a very good artist. He was a trained artist and he would draw the celebrities of the day. He was the first person to have, uh, to, to draw, I should say, was the, yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying to wrap my brains around this bit again. That's fine. Um, <laughs> 
he uh, the first animated cartoon in Ireland, he was the artist on it. So let's say he used to draw the celebrities of the day and the cartoons for the, the newspapers in Ireland. A lot of his work was collected and that was then donated to the Irish uh, Museum. And at some point, he dropped everything, moved to, to London and started working out of his Kensington flat, drawing spirit portraits for people. Uh, I have been in contact with his niece and she explained that it turned out that Frank had been married twice and his wife, and I believe it was his son, died um, in Ireland and that's why he'd moved back to the UK. Hmm. So was, many of us think that was the catalyst that set him on the journey of doing spirit portraits. But his portraits, his and Coral Polge, I see frankly and Coral Polge as the top two the world has ever seen in, in spirit art, I really do. Don't get me wrong, I haven't seen everybody's work out there, but that's the standard I aspire to get to is where they got to. Because you can put a photograph next to the drawings that they did and you would think it was drawn directly from the pic, from the photo. They were amazing. And, and, and Coral, she she actually was was not a trained artist either, and she did take some art lessons down the, down the uh, road a little bit, right? Yeah, she was um, a technical artist. She wasn't a trained portrait artist. Whereas okay. frankly, he was a trained portrait artist. Okay. But yeah, Coral Paul is a technical artist. But uh, I have it on good authority from her best friend, Bill, um, that she actually studied the skull. The skull? Well, because it's the, the, the skull is the foundation that creates your features. You can take somebody's skull and you can add the basic markers for the, the for, um, for your muscles and the sinew and everything over the top of it, and you will get a likeness of your face. So her yeah. bone structure in her pictures was amazing. Yeah, and she was pretty much a perfectionist too. But she was, right? <laughs> she really was. That's she amazing. had a lot of help from uh, Morris de la Tua. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah, her God, yes. I know, that's something. So, so what's, so on your journey when you started this, what was the hardest part for you to overcome? Oh, my lack of knowledge. <laughs> your lack um, of knowledge. My lack of, uh, lack of knowledge, yeah. I, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. For me, it was I didn't have a clue how to draw. I, when I was in school, I gave up drawing because my art teacher, the highest mark she ever gave me, was two out of ten, so I gave up drawing. Mm -hmm. Even though I could doodle, I could. I thought I could draw. I thought I could doodle when I was younger, but the highest mark I got was two out of ten, so I gave up. Um, so yeah, my lack of knowledge, I have to say, because I didn't know the proportions of the face, and that knowledge, for me, is really helpful. If you can learn that, it will massively help within your your work if you want to be a spirit artist. So yeah, lack of knowledge, <laughs> and not having people to talk to. My mother is exceptional at being able to help me throughout my mediumship, but she'd never done spirit art herself. So that was the one area she could not help me in. Mm -hmm. uh, she could give me excellent advice on certain aspects of, of controlling my own mediumship and things like that, but she'd never done the spirit art. But she was in a position to introduce me to a few other spirit artists. So they gave me a few little hints of... Uh, how to carry on in my development, which was 
greatly appreciated. That has to be hard. And plus, when you're doing a dumb, you just have to learn how to write the trust in there. So just to hand yourself over to the, your controller, right? You know what I'm saying? To step aside? Yeah. It's not a case of step aside for me. It's more okay. of a blending. Okay, blending of the energies. It's I allow that the lady who works with me to to use my hand to draw with, but that's not okay. how every spirit artist works. Some see spirit and draw what they see. Some hear spirit and draw what they're hearing. They they hear the description, and then you get those who feel where every line should be, often combined with the knowing if it's right or wrong, and then you get those who come under the the classification of control, who allow spirit to utilize their hand to write or draw with. I was just thinking about that. Wow. So they all work in, in different different ways. This well, every single one, one of us in the world is a unique individual. We all have our own oh, life yeah. experiences and spirit utilize those within within our work. But mm-hmm. if there is art within you, spirit can help to bring it out. But that's usually mm-hmm. the way in which people discover that they can do this is they see and they so, you know, as I've already said, they draw what they see or they draw what they're hearing, what they're feeling, what they know, or they allow spirit to come so close that they can utilize their hand to draw it. So it's so it's sort of like setting up your own rapport with the spirit person that's helping you. Yeah. Because For different me, yeah. people work in different ways. Yes. Okay. That's <clears throat> that's what I thought. It's very interesting. And then when you get up and you do these public downs, I mean, that has to be. Are you a little nervous before you start? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I am always, I am always <laughs> before okay. I get up to the demonstration. Part of it is my natural nerves because I wouldn't normally stand up in front of people. It's not where I pictured myself doing this uh, and getting up in front of people and talking and, and demonstrating. So part of it is my own nerves, but part of it is also a building of energy. It just happens to be in my solar plexus area, which makes me feel a bit nauseous. At times, I joke and refer to it as pterodactyls flapping around inside my stomach before I start working. It's just part of the job. It's it's a building of energy and adding to my own nerves. I was always taught, you know, channel it into what you're doing. Utilize the energy. What I like about you and I watch you, Dan, you do it all. Some spirit artist has has a medium help them, <clears throat> but I noticed that you do everything. I yeah, I give the communication and the drawing. Sometimes I will talk and draw at the same time. Sometimes mm-hmm. I will draw and stop and talk a little, and then draw a little and talk a little, or I might do the full drawing and then give the spirit communication. But I can work with another medium too, and I I, I have demonstrated that way. And when I first started on the journey, uh, my mother used to say that I could do both and then other people would tell me that no no you must work with another medium but my mother in her wonderful wisdom pointed out what happens if you turn up to do a service and your medium is a no-show are you going to stand there and hope that somebody recognizes a picture of their loved one but what happens if that day their loved one who may have passed when they were 92 decides they're coming through looking when they were 22 unless mm-hmm. you've got evidence mm-hmm. to jog up memory how they're going to know it was them or if they don't have a photo album in which to go back and, and you know, double check to see if that's what they look like when they were 22, how do you know? And then it, for me, it was like it was an eye-opening moment because she was, she was correct. What happens if I did show up and my medium didn't? You cannot rely on somebody else 
to be there to do the communication side for you. And if you can give spirit communication and you can do the drawing, spirit drawings, then you should be able to put the two together. Because at the end of the day, it may feel at times that we're tuning into, uh, you know, two separate signals, you know, one radio into two separate signal sources at the same time. We're not. We're tuning into the same source. Right. It's just, that's right. what I describe it. It's like changing gears in my head in a car, but it's still the same car, mm. if that makes sense. <laughs> it does make yeah. sense. And I, yeah, I, th- I like that way that you work, though, because like your mother said, you know, you're the one that knows who's there. You know, they're showing you and they're telling you, I'm sure. And I noticed that about you when I saw you dumb. <clears throat> you got a lot of you got a lot of good information at that demo, I have to say. I was I was really impressed. Thank you. Well, thank you. So um so we, we covered the uh coral and we covered Frank and we, we covered the spirits. which but you mostly work in the in the spirit portrait, correct? Or or yeah. not? Mostly. I mean that's what I saw. My main work is evidential portrait. That's my my main thing that I do. I like to reunite people with the faces they loved ones because it's evidential. It's you can recognise a person, and it's like if I don't know anything about you, yet I'm able to draw your mother, your father, your your husband, your wife. It's like that is evidential. Every single medium out there, you know, we can stand up and we can turn around and say, you know, we have a middle aged balding man. But if you put two middle-aged balding men together next to each other, they will look completely different. And with spirit art, you've got to get those differences. You've got to draw the true likeness of a person. So it's it's challenging. Yeah. And how about the? T- <clears throat> Has this ever happened to you that sometimes you'll draw something and then <clears throat> nobody will take it? It does occasionally happen that you okay. draw. I just wondered. Oh, yeah, no, it, it does occasionally happen where you draw a picture and it's not instantly recognised. But I have to trust in the spirit world that I've drawn the correct picture on, on, on the day. And I do encourage people to still take that. They might recognise all of the information, um, but not necessarily the picture at that time. I still encourage them to take the picture. And usually people come back to me a few weeks later going, you're never going to believe this. We were going through the photo albums and there they were. So yeah, I've got to trust in my team that I'm drawing the right thing at the right time. Do you I find have to it really bothered me when I, when I would draw a picture and it wouldn't be instantly recognized. But nowadays, uh, I've learned through time and experience that I have to trust the spirit world. Oh, yeah, so, that's what I'm uh, saying. That's, yeah, that's it. You have to trust because they're going to give, give you the right info. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. So do you, when you, <clears throat> okay, here's what I want to ask you about the your private sittings, do you find yourself more relaxed in drawing in a private sitting than you do in a in a public demonstration? I'm still just as nervous. <laughs> you are? Yeah, I still have that build-up of energy beforehand. I still have my nerves. It's part to do with I don't want to let the spirit world down. I don't want to let the person down who I'm doing the sitting for. I want to be able to bring forward that evidence and bring them the comfort of, and the knowledge that their loved ones still survive the spirit side of life. I don't want to mess it up, and I, I want to be true to the spirit world and to them. After all, in a private sitting, especially if they're paying for a private sitting, you know, it's it's for me, they should be walking away with evidence. 
So, yeah, I still I get nervous. doesn't matter what type of thing I'm doing when it comes to this kind of work. At the end of the day, if we were actors, we would have a script. We would, you know, have a set routine of what we were going to go through. But we're not actors. We have to, we jokingly refer to this back home as we work on a wing and a prayer. You know, we send out the thoughts of the spirit world. We set our intent of what we would like to achieve. And then all we can do is deliver the messages that we receive from the spirit world to the recipients and hope that we do the right job on the right day. Well, if I may say one thing, you were picked by the spirit world, and and you you have to know that they picked you for a reason, and you're not going to let them down. You were picked to do this, and I'm sure, you know, you're you're not going to let them down, and they know that. Sometimes it's people. We let ourselves down. Yeah, you (laughs) have that in your head. You have yeah. that in your head. It's human nature. Sometimes we let ourselves down. I know. Down. I understand. Really, I do. But <clears throat> you're you're really you're really remarkable in what you do, and all you remember that, and you were picked by them, and they know that you're not going to let them down. If anybody's going to get the job done, they know you're going to do it. That's for <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Now I want you to tell us a little bit about. So you write inspired poetry, right? So yeah. I want I want to know how the lyrics I'm going to know how that lyrics of the song came about for Highfield Day. Oh, I mean I want to know what happened. I think that's fascinating. Um, it started off. I used to be on a site uh, that was, it was called Delphi. Um, when I started to go to our Lyceum back in my church in Billingham, my tutors were my mother, which is Minister Anne Robson, and Vi Kiplin who is well-known within the Spirituals National Union. And our Lyceum only runs between March and November because when it comes to winter, people tend to want to be bears and hibernate. They don't want to come out when it's cold. So we close for the winter period. But Vi, at that time, was also teaching on an online site called, um, called Delphi. So I went on to that so that I could carry on my training during the winter months. And it was when I was on there, we were doing, I was attending an inspired writing class. And the tutor basically would give us a word. And we had to then give some form of philosophy or write something down upon that word that she would give us. And the first week she gave me the word beauty and I wrote a poem. I didn't expect to, it just, I discovered I waffled in rhyme is the best way I can describe it. Okay. And then the next week she gave another word and yet another poem. And then we were coming up to Hydesville Day and all of a sudden I start, I, I, I heard the first two lines. So I wrote it down and then the next thing I knew I had a full poem based on Hydesville Day. And then the song came about because the Spiritualist National Union were holding uh, a kind of a bit like a competition uh, of trying to get people to write a new hymns and that kind of thing. Uh, and it could be either a song or a hymn to celebrate uh, spiritualism, to celebrate Highfield Day. So my sister-in-law, uh, Nikki Beckett-Robson, I have to say, absolutely a beautiful, wonderful musician that she is, um, she took my waffle in rhyme and turned it into the most amazing song I have ever heard. I was just like, oh, my God, it's <laughs> just incredible. So I was very, very excited about it. And, uh, yeah, she sent it off. Um, and it's it's used by several people in places to celebrate Highfield Day. So that's how the song came about. That's 
Can you just get, I don't want you to sing it. Can you just give us a couple words of it so people would know? Because I thought it was really fascinating and nice. I'm definitely not singing it because I can't sing you it like the person she's. No, I don't want Because <laughs> she, she's got somebody singing on that where his voice is absolutely incredible. <laughs> the, the, the first line of it is 31st of March, 1848, a place called Hydesville history was made. Two young girls, sisters in fact, Margarita and Kate, decided to act. So there you go. I like that. See, that is wonderful. That's really inspired. So now, do you do you do this little magazine as well? Are you the editor of this magazine? I was. Your your bio is slightly out of date. I was. Well, I'm sorry. Okay. But I I I retired. Um, and a lovely lady, Nancy Ryles, taken over for the International Socialist Federation uh, because I I had too much, too many things going on at home at the time. My children needed me, so I, I had to okay. take a little step okay. back from some things at that time. Well, um, can you um, just tell us a little bit about the magazine, or um, so our listeners know yeah, what it about? Yeah, the Yours Fraternally magazine, it used, it, it, go, it, well, it used to, it's been revamped at the minute, but it used to go out to the members of the International Spiritual Federation. Uh, originally, it used to go out four times a, a year, then it, it we reduced it to three times a year. And it's been around since 1923, if I remember wow. correctly. Yeah, uh, it's all done by, by volunteers within the International Spiritual Federation. Uh, I did it for oh, crikey, how many years did I do it? About ten years, I think I was doing it for. And it for me, uh, it was articles that I would put in from members. We would put any announcements in for members, so if there's any motions for, for voting at the bi general meetings and like that, it would go in there. It would have in the poetry from people that would send it in. I would create a puzzle page for people. So it's just a small magazine, really. Um, we would put things in of a spiritual nature, nice little stories, like the, the, the story of how the logo for the International Spiritualist Federation came around, that was in there. We had many things that were, were in there. It was a nice little magazine. Keep the members up to date, because not all members can can afford at the time or can actually travel to every single event that we have. So sometimes people send things in because the members can live those experiences through somebody else's eyes by reading about it in a magazine. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, <clears throat> I want to ask you about uh, orograms. People, some uh, people don't know about them. They don't. Yeah. Um, orograms or orographs, depends on which country you're talking about. It. And if you're in Switzerland, it's orograms. Usually the UK, they call it orographs which, as I said okay. earlier, was the original creator of them was, was Harold Sharp. He's the one who named them. Not not everybody sees auras. Some people sense them, they sense the colours within them. So a, a spirit or psychic artist may tune into a person's auric field and draw a, a, an interpretation of their aura. So, do you teach any about those? Do you t- do workshops on those corals? Yes, I do workshops on them. Can um can you give um can you give us maybe a little bit of an overview if somebody would want to take a workshop on what would be involved in that or because some people usually, usually don't really know what they are. Okay, so usually um when I'm doing a, a workshop on orographs, it's about 
are talking about what orographs are, explaining them in detail, explaining the varying different ways in which to interpret them. So traditionally, they would be done in a circle or an oval pattern, but they can be done in any way you choose to, because you're the artist at the end of the day. They the would be read as a timeline, so you would start at the base of the orograph. That would represent the person's, their birth, their childhood, moving up to, through, uh, as you go up the picture, through their teenage years, to the age they are now, and then the top part of it being their potential. And their potential, not future, because your future is not set in stone. You have free will. So it's the potential in a person. So each colour that you use has an interpretation. Some people, if they're into numerology, might incorporate numerology into them. People who are into astrology, they might incorporate astrology into their interpretations. There's very different things that you can do. There's animal interpretations, there's flower mm -hmm. interpretations, and it's touching upon those areas within the workshop. Hmm. That would be an interesting workshop <clears throat> for sure. Um, I, enjoy, I enjoy them. I have to admit, I do enjoy them. The beauty about an orograph for me is when, whenever we have a sitting with somebody, often people will forget a lot of what is said. Our visual and our auditory are connected. So if you are looking at something when somebody's telling you something, the next time you see the item, it reminds you of what was said. So with an orograph, if somebody's drawn, say, a tree in it, the next time they look at the orograph and they see the tree, they'll remember or recall what was said about what the tree symbolically meant to them in relation to mm -hmm. their life. Hmm. So if they look at it, okay, so they did it in the workshop, and maybe they go back and look at it again, would they have maybe a different interpretation of that then? Now, interesting that you should say that, because an orograph, when you create it for somebody and you interpret it for them on that day, it could have a completely yes. different meaning yeah. to what it would mean if it was then read again um, mm -hmm. in a month's time. Because mm -hmm. in a month, a lot can happen to a person. So something that you might have drawn in that orograph that you might not have took that much notice of at that time, a month later might mean something. Because a lot can happen to a person in that one month. Yeah, I just wondered about that. Because sometimes that happens with different things. Yeah. But the one thing I would say, I wouldn't recommend going to have readings of somebody every month. Not healthy. <laughs> no, no. I don't think that's, that's, you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a no-no. You know, that is. <clears throat> that isn't. So that's interesting. It's, and then people probably, when things come out and they, you interpret or they interpret it, it's usually right on the money sometimes, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Usually. <laughs> usually it is. Yeah, and people are probably they're probably impressed by that. If that something came out, they thought, oh, I didn't think that was going to come out. Wow, you know, really. They're, so. they're a nice thing to create for somebody. But at the end of the day, an orograph is a tool of interpretation. The information doesn't really come from the orograph. It comes from the individual that you're reading. Right. I know, yeah. That's interesting. We've done that here a couple times. It came out pretty pretty nice for people. Um, now we want to talk about inspired art. How about giving okay. us a little um, about inspired art or intuitive art, visionary art, things like that. Can we talk a okay. little bit about that? Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, inspired art can be anything that's inspired from your own spirit to, to people in the spirit world, inspiring you with it. Often you will get people... Now, I'm going to rephrase that. 
Have okay. you ever yourself found a piece of artwork that just captures you? You can't help my mural, my church does. Yeah, and there's count? just something about it connects to you on that one-to-one level. You don't know why, but yes. it just does. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is an inspired art. There's something about it that captures the soul. It makes you connect to it. Some people, yes. when they create inspired art, will even link with spirit and um, ask for healing energy to be placed within it when they're doing it, which is an interesting concept. But one of the things I will say is, for me, whenever you're working with colour, it will have an effect okay. on people. Because every mm-hmm. single colour has a wavelength that it travels at. And those wavelengths affect us for the positive or for the negative. You know, it's, um, <laughs> I jokingly say this about a friend of mine, you, she cannot wear the colour red. She loves it okay. on other people. She wears red herself, she becomes angry because she can't deal with the energy of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas my daughter loves red and it actually helps her with her balance. And now you're going to wonder just, why does with her balance? <laughs> no, I was just thinking about the colors because, like you said, certain people are drawn to to sometimes they're drawn to one color, you know, and um, that that makes yeah. And then you talk about angelic art. Is is that on the same thing as inspired art? Um, you're asking the wrong person on that one. <laughs> okay, I was just I mean, curious about that. No, it's it's fine. It's um. Forgive me now, anybody who has the idea of, of um, they're doing Angelica. I don't mean to offend anybody, but for me, inspired art, whether you, you paint angels, whether you're painting fairies, whether you're painting dragons, mm-hmm. you know, all of that can come under the idea of inspired art. It, it's inspiration. All art truly is an inspiration. So that, you know, this channeling of angels and things like that, it's a nice idea, but where's the evidence in it? I understand. Uh, that's another thing I was going to ask you about. Since you brought this up, I guess I'm going to ask it. When people, when people, I'm sure you have pri- private settings. When they come in and they ask you, "Would you? What about my God? Can you do my God? Is my God here?" But how, is that something that we can actually prove as evidential? Um, sometimes it can be. Sometimes it okay, can be. Okay, tell me um, about it. Okay, so for instance, where I already said earlier, uh, with Coral's Holge, Maurice Latour announced to her who he was. He had her draw a self-portrait of himself. He then guided her to where she would find a confirming self-portrait he did when he was here in the flesh. Okay? Okay, so that would be. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that for her was very evidential. If you are a medium who, or a person who already has seen your guide, so you know what they look like, and then somebody draws the same guide, then you can see that as being evidential. Sometimes you may get a guide drawn for you and then specific information about them, which could be verified via another source, which can be evidential. But most of the time, they're not. Unless you know who they are already or you have it confirmed, have a way of confirming it, there is no evidence behind it. And it saddens me that there's people out there who, Mm -hmm. sorry to say it, but in my mind, prey on the vulnerable. They they will paint your guide for, you know, a hundred or a couple of hundred dollars. And they're they're drawing things like Vikings with horned helmets and they didn't wear horned helmets. You know, and they could Mm -hmm. be making anything up and claiming it to be a guide. 
to me, what I would say to the audience here is if you want a portrait of your guide, find somebody who can actually give you an evidential portrait first and show to you that they have a link with the spirit world. Because if they can draw right. your husband right. or your wife or your child or your, you know, one of your relatives, somebody who you know for a definite, that person, I recognize them, and they can give you solid evidence of, of that person that they have survived, you know, the transition known as death, if you can give them that solid evidence, if you can get that from someone and then they draw your guide, the chances are you're going to accept it. But perhaps somebody draw anything and then just give you a nice little spiritual message and then charge you a lot of money, don't fall mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that was very good advice. And I wanted to get into that because I wanted you to explain that from your perspective. Um, from my- where it is evidential and then it isn't. And you did. And I, I thank you for that. Thank you. Because that's very important, like you said. Spirit. Oh, sorry? No, it's very sorry. important what you just said. Oh, well, thank you. But for me, in the entire time I've been drawn for the spirit world, I've drawn less than 40 guides. Okay. The number's slowly going up. <laughs> I've seen thousands cool of evidential portraits for only about 40 guides. <laughs> okay. But you know what? At least you're truthful about it, and you, and you tell it how it is. And that's why I respect you for that. And I think that's why the spirit world respects you for that as well. It's, it's my because team no that I around. ever hang up. <laughs> That's where it's no My team no ever hang up over drawing guides because there's mm-hmm. the lack of evidence involved. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to know about that because I've heard people say, well, you know, I want my guide drawn. And I just wanted to ask you about the evidence, but that makes perfect sense about with even Coral's guide. How she, and then she found it, and that's that's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> as I say, for me, it, it's, my job is supposed to be evidence of survival, and a guide is not evidence of survival unless you've already had it confirmed. You know who they look like anyway, and it's just a confirmation for yourself. In my personal opinion, the best person to tell you about your guides is your guides. It's your guides, right. It's for you to, to, to get that contact with your, your spirit team and ask them outright. But don't fall into guide worship. At the end of the day, as long as you're getting the messages, does it really matter? And then you've got no. to, to go yeah. with, and I ask this of my students, how do we perceive our guides? Are we perceiving them as they truly were? Or do they appear in a manner our mind can comprehend at the time? Or do we paint the picture on them of what we want them to be? And I can tell you, through experience of working with people over the years, it's all three. Sometimes they appear to people how they were. Sometimes the the way they look would not be would not be helpful to us at that time. And I, I will mm-hmm. use an example. Uh, okay. I once okay. drew a guide for a lady, and I drew a young Tibetan man. I was then told to remove his eyes so they're pure white and to age him considerably. So. I did that, and uh, I did it by placing a piece of acetate over the top, aging it, as I say, considerably, removing the eyes so they were pure white. And then he told me the tale that he appeared to her when she was a child, and her seeing this very, very old man with pure white eyes terrified her, and he Mm. did not want to scare Mm. her. So he appeared to her the next time as a young Tibetan boy, and as she'd aged, he aged with her. 
and that now she was an adult and developing a mediumship, she, he wanted her to know what he truly actually looked like when he was alive in the flesh. And the moment she seen it, she was like, oh, my God, that is the man I saw when I was a child. Oh. So for, for her, he appeared in a manner her mind could comprehend. You then get some who will paint an image on them. And what I've learned over the years of working with an international community is when I was working with people um, who say of predominantly a Catholic background, they mm -hmm. often would communications that would be through angels or through uh, saints because that was allowed within their faith whereas mm -hmm. people in India they may, their guide may have six arms whereas uh, First Nations may have totem animals coming through so is it that their mind paints the image on them or are they paying as they were it's an interesting concept and it the is other an thing, interesting yeah the other thing uh, people have to take into account when you're working with guides in my mind, we all have somebody who walks with us all of our life, but we, those of us who are, who are learning and training to be mediums, we have our guides, and they're teachers. Guide is just mm -hmm. a fancy word for teacher, <clears throat> in my mind. Yes. It really is a fancy word for teacher. And when you were at school, you had teachers that would take you to the point where, for so many years, and then they would hand you over to a teacher who had more knowledge in that area or move mm -hmm. you on to the next level. And it's the same thing with, with ours in, in the spirit world. They work with us for the amount of time they need to. And then some will stay with us and some will move on and somebody else will step in to take us to the next level. So, you know, people get this idea that they've got a guide with them, you know, all these guides all of the time. And sometimes they come and go as our needs change. So don't get hung up on this. <laughs> no, that's correct. It's correct. Hey, you know what? <clears throat> we have a caller. I'm going to let them see what they want. Hold on a sec. Welcome. May we have a first name, please? Hi, this is Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Go ahead. Um, I just sort of had a question, a uh, general question, like why do uh, spirits sometimes show up as young to a medium or maybe maybe they died when they were older but they don't show up as an older spirit and it, then you're, it's supposed to be evidential so it's like hard for the uh, person that's getting the reading to to recognize what the medium is saying when, when they say this younger person or whatever. I just wondered if you had any theory about why they, they don't just show show themselves like they are when as you remembered them uh, yes um, <laughs> um there's a few different reasons why it can happen um i jokingly <laughs> with this one of well i'm coming back a size 12 flat stomach and straight hair rather than curly hair um spoken to appear how they want to and one of the things is if you when they've passed quite elderly sometimes they don't want to be remembered being old and being infirm they want to remember uh, people to remember them, how they looked in their prime of life when they were fit yeah, and they you were, were healthy. Sort of, you were sort of saying that when I was dialing. I thought you said something that boy wanted him, her, them to know them when they when they were younger. So I might have missed out on some of that while I was dialing. But but it, it's um, sometimes they show themselves to to show that they're fit and healthy and they're in their prime in the spirit world and that their body is that it's not infirm or anything like that. Uh, I find it amazing how women tend to come back looking younger and men with more hair. Um, <laughs> you can see where their hang-ups lie. Um, 
But it's also in the other way as where sometimes if somebody passed young, they may page, uh, appear at the age they would be now. Because one of the biggest wow. questions the parent asks is, what does my baby look like now? Who yeah. in the family do they resemble? Have they grown spirit side of life? And the answer to that is, yes, they have. They do grow spirit I know, side of life. I know when I see my own family, I recognize them immediately uh, when I get messages from them. But if I'm... If it's somebody else's family that I don't know, I'm never quite sure whether uh, that's how they looked then or how they look now. I I can't seem to determine that. Well, with that, if it's for somebody else, it's do they recognize it? It's it's frustrating sometimes for a spirit artist to draw a picture and it not to be instantly recognized. But we just have to trust in the spirit world because what usually tends to happen is You've got to jog a person's memory for a start off. Not all of us remember somebody correctly. There's a well-known right. Coral Polge drawing a gentleman with a very large moustache, and his wife had turned around and said, "Well, that's him, but he didn't. His moustache was nothing like that. It was nowhere near as big as that." Yet when she found a photograph, if anything, Coral had not drawn it as big as his moustache actually was. So that was because yeah. the lady remembered. Um, it's like it, our it, memories probably aren't as good as theirs are. <laughs> <laughs> it can be, yeah, it can be, because images fade over time. You know, I once said to my father, can you remember what your dad looked like? And he says, the love remains, but I can't remember his face. Unless mm. we talk about him, and then it slowly starts to come back. So, But sometimes, though, for a person, especially if they've got a sceptical nature, if you draw a portrait of somebody when they were younger, who they may not have remembered them looking that way, or if you draw a portrait of somebody they didn't know, but then go home and then find a photograph of them and it matches. It removes the idea in the head of, well, how, you know, they're just reading me and picking information out of my brain. Because if it wasn't in their brain in the first place, how did we get it? Yeah. So sometimes it's more evidential. Sometimes spirit, the best way I can put it, spirits see a bigger picture than we do. We just got to trust that we're delivering the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Okay, so there you go. You answered somebody's question. <clears throat> okay, so um, I just you you do tremendous work and you do tremendous work for humanity because you serve the spirit world and sometimes that's not an easy thing to do. But I just want to tell you that, <clears throat> and on this path that you have chosen to take, I just want to know one thing when when you think about. Who inspired you the most on this journey you have taken? To do with my mediumship? To do my with mother. anything. Your mother. My mother. And she's a lovely woman. My mother has been my biggest critic, my biggest fan. Uh, she has inspired me, pushed me forward. And I wouldn't be doing any of what I do now if it hadn't been for her. But I've also, my husband and my children, my father, all of them, and every single person who let me sit at the back of the church and practice my artwork, uh, Matthias Goldenstein for being my mentor and showing me the, the proportions of the face. I've got so many people to thank. Believe me, I really have. And um, I wouldn't be here without any, any of you know, them stepping in and helping me. So, yeah, all of them. 
And I have to say, Vi Kipling for telling me to take on board what resonates with me and disregard what doesn't, uh, and uh, encouraging me to question everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you know you don't give yourself enough credit of how many people that you have inspired and helped. <laughs> and I'd like well, to say that really. Well, thank it's you. It's not but an easy those, path. Yeah, but for those artists who inspire me the most, it's Coral Polish and frankly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they were exceptional. Set a standard that we should all be aiming for, and we shouldn't settle for less. And, and I Coral don't was... want to put a colour in somebody telling me it's my dad. I want to see my dad's face. Mhm, mhm. And and Coral was, I would say, she was. Uh, you would know better because she stayed at your house. But <laughs> I would say that she she seemed to be such a humble a humble soul when she was here. I can only say when I met her, she was absolutely lovely. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was it was a pleasure to sit in her company, but I didn't know her as a you know as, as a friend beyond that. It was just a nice lady that I met when she stayed at our house. <laughs> well, I read a book on her, and I, well, you know I also did a blog on her on the book that we did uh, Treasures um, from the Spirit World, and I just got the sense that she was very humble about things. She always came across as very down to earth to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I like down to earth people. I like truthful people. <laughs> you might have noticed. Not... Really? Geez, I would have never thought that, Coral. <laughs> it gets um, me into trouble too many times, believe me. <laughs> I'm sure. But I, I feel that you're a person that always stands up for what she feels is right, though. Yeah. I say it gets me into trouble sometimes. Open mouth, insert feet, swallow. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure you're. I'm sure the people that you have taught your students, you've taught them a world of knowledge. You have. It's it's. Matthias once said it about me. It's it's wonderful to see your student excel you, and I can say there's a couple of students that, that I have out there who are really. I'm so proud of them, and I have to say, Angelique, if you're listening, keep up the good work. Oh, we have another call. Here we go. Here we go. Hold on. <laughs> Hi. May we have a name, please? Hello. Hi. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. Uh, yes. Um, I have a friend that just passed away in an accident. And um, I want to know what happened. Like, Well, we're really not doing that type of reading tonight. Oh, okay. That's okay. But but thank you very much, and thank you for listening, okay? Because we're just not doing this kind of readings tonight, okay? Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, it certainly has been a pleasure. And I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your stories and your talents with all the truth seekers from all over the world. Well, thank you for the invite. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Take care. You too. That concludes our show for tonight. And I wish to thank all the truth seekers around the world for listening. Until we meet again, may you be the light that helps others see.